You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. We are at the dawn of the Chinese New Year, the Year of the Ox. And the Ox, of course, is a solid and reliable animal. So we're going to talk about oxtails. This is the third in a series of podcasts hosted by 91. And today I'm speaking to Alan Xiao, Portfolio Manager in the Emerging Market Fixed Income Team at 91, speaking to us today from Hong Kong. And you say, Alan, in your headline, it says here, for income, China builds yield to almost none. What do you mean by that? So what I meant by that is that China is the only large remaining only a remaining large and liquid bond market with positive real interest rates and orthodox monetary policy. That makes it an interesting option for global investors uh, for whom the other benchmark fixed income markets are either at negative real yields or negative nominal yields and for whom a monetary policy is stuck in a sort of very accommodative framework. So you favor orthodoxy, do you? Um, It's less the orthodoxy. It's just to say that in today's market where correlations have broken down for investors who have portfolios that are diversified and balanced, a fixed income serves two roles. One is to provide that income, but also it is to shield the risky portions of the portfolio. So, for example, equities um, or other risky assets uh, in the event that something were to happen that were to shake the valuations of the risky portion, your fixed income portfolio is meant to be your ballast. It's meant to provide the support for the risky portion. Uh, But in today's markets, given these very low yields and given the very high correlations uh, between fixed income and equity markets, um, when the equity market goes south, unfortunately, it has started to happen that uh, investors' allocations to their traditional fixed income Uh, portfolios have also performed in the same way. So fixed income is no longer serving its its primary purpose, which is to provide that income and that stability, and also to provide a hedge towards the riskier portions of that portfolio. So thinking about uh, this problem writ large, uh, you know, the Chinese bond market is, is roughly, you know, 16, 17 trillion dollars in size. That is handily roughly the same size as the stock of all debt in the world today, that is negatively yielding. So it's a solution to to a rather neat problem. Okay, so it counterbalances the negative yield of the so-called developed world, I suppose. Yes, or more to the point, I think, for investors looking for a balanced portfolio or certainly an allocation to fixed income, that will serve that purpose, which is it will zig when when the rest of the market is zagging, then it is certainly a, a market worth considering. And it is large enough and deep enough and liquid enough to be relevant to every investor, whether that be a retail, uh, a family office, or a professional or institutional investor. You say the following, at the start of the Chinese New Year, and we've spoken about it, it's the year of the ox, while developed bond markets are anxiously trying to figure out if we are entering a reflationary trend, which will herald the end of lower for longer interest rates and the unconventional policy approaches that have accompanied them, Chinese bonds offer the prospect of continuity and carry. And I think continuity and carry is something that we haven't seen for so long. And I think the key point here is have regulatory changes meant that international investors can take advantage of that continuity and carry? Yes, indeed. And, and this is, um, I guess, uh, you know, uh, another way of, of addressing the point I made earlier. So the Chinese economy, I guess, um, has suffered like all other economies from from COVID. However, it has it was the first to enter and also the first to exit. 
and it has enjoyed quite a robust recovery. And that is peculiar because of the way that the country is run and also because of the approach they've taken to managing the virus. So very abrupt shutdown, very strict policies. And as a result, their experience of it has been shorter and sharper. But the economy is also at a different stage of development relative to other nations. So the Chinese administration right now, their problem is a recovery that is running a little too hot. Whereas I think for the rest of the world, what the problems that administrations are facing is a recovery that is still uncertain, a little bit tepid, and perhaps at risk and vulnerable to further outbreaks. This is not to say that China is immune, merely that the problems that the administration are, are facing are very different. So against that backdrop, um, you know, the Chinese government is looking at its interest rates and its financial situation and saying, you know, we need to make sure that inflation doesn't you know, run away from us, that this recovery is not too hot too quickly and counterbalanced against a world where the reverse is true, where, you know, monetary and financial conditions are very accommodative indeed because animal spirits are very subdued uh, and economies need all the help they can get. So for investors that are looking at that um, and looking at the world and able to invest across the broad range of economies and geographies, China offers a very compelling alternative or complement to, uh, to their portfolio. Compelling and complementary as well. Interesting. You say we expect the mainstreaming of Chinese bonds to accelerate this year, spurred by the imminent inclusion of China to the FTSE World Government Bond Index. What about the segments of the bond market, though? And I'm specifically referencing now the corporate bond market in China. Tell us about that, please. Yes. So the corporate bond market in China can be best uh, divided into two elements. So we have the, the pure sort of onshore corporate bond market that is um, still lagging somewhat in terms of uh, stage of development. It is one of the later developments uh, in that market. And as a result, it's not quite ready for the prime time. And what I mean by that is that it hasn't benefited from the involvement of the full panoply of investors. And as a result, price discovery and discrimination in that market is still heavily influenced by domestic investors. So we feel that that market will be very interesting in the years to come. But for now, it needs to go through a development cycle. So what we expect are uh, defaults and what we expect is rising issues. And this is because China for the longest time has not had a functioning market in this area, the way that we would understand elsewhere. What I mean by this is that the market and fixed income works with market discipline. So companies borrow, good companies get better rates, bad companies struggle to pay and are punished in the form of either losing access to the market or, or having to pay a higher price. China on the corporate side is a market where there have been no defaults uh, for a long time, where a lot of the lending has been done on the basis of relationships and of uh, proximity to the state. And so the pricing mechanism is not finely tuned. And so we need a period where both lenders and borrowers um, come to terms with the fact that not every borrower is of the same quality and there needs to be a, a higher differentiation in price. And when these risks are properly priced, it will then become a much better market for investors. Right now, though, there is an alternative market, which is the offshore Chinese corporate bond market, which is priced in dollars. These are bonds issued by Chinese corporates that are capable of uh, lending money in the, in the global markets. These are, by definition, the biggest and best companies. And this market has been 
in place for much longer. It's much more vibrant, has the participation of many, many more investors and a diverse group. So international, domestic and regional. And as a result, this is a far more robust market. The pricing is far keener. And there is true differentiation. So good companies enjoy very good rates uh, in terms of borrowing, whereas weak companies are not able to access the market or have to pay a much higher price. So as keen followers of the market, for those interested in a return that is over and above what it is available in the government bond market, the corporate credit market is very interesting. For now, we feel the offshore credit market is the more interesting one at the moment. But in the future, we expect these markets to converge and for uh, investors to be able to take advantage of all of these onshore. Very good. Final question now. You've spoken about the corporate bond market, the government bond market, and the general appetite or potential appetite from international investors for the Chinese bond markets. Now, there has to be a risk. What would you say to somebody coming to you at 91 uh, who wants to invest in this particular asset class? You obviously have to countermand your enthusiasm with a risk element as well. What are they? Look, you know, investing in in every market comes with its own risks, as you very rightly point out. So the risks to this are, you know, that China, Chinese growth uh, takes a hit. Uh, There is a resurgence of the virus that is beyond our current expectations, and that overwhelms the the nascent recovery that we're seeing. This could uh, form a risk for the economy. In the first instance, a decline in the growth rate is not necessarily negative for fixed income. It is primarily a risk for equity markets. However, at some point, uh, weakness in economy will will transfer to all uh, assets, including fixed income. Uh, So that is one scenario. The other scenario is that uh, growth indeed rises too quickly, so quickly that um, it escapes the control of domestic authorities in terms of regulation. And as a result, we see a a very fast wave of inflation or growth that vastly outstrips expectations. And therefore, we might see a hiking, a much faster hiking in interest rates, which would then damage uh, the returns available in Chinese bond markets, because um, holding bonds when the yields are rising implies one would make losses. So the key risk for the economy is a recovery that's too strong or inflation that is uncontrolled. We think these risks are uh, are there, but they are remote. And we think that uh, the Chinese administration has both all the tools as well as a, a good track record of employing them diligently. However, those are the risks that I would point out. Alan, thank you so much for your insight. That's Alan Xiao, who's Portfolio Manager in the Emerging Market Fixed Income Team at 91, speaking to us from Hong Kong, and also the co-author of The Year of the Ox, the 91 publication. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors, and do not reflect the policy, position, or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.